0: Friends, if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If you want to find it on the YouVersion app, little bonus feature, click on um, find a church, go to church together. You can find the scriptures, some sermon notes, some quotes from the message, all that kind of stuff right there. But if you want to stay old school like me on uh, these kind of paper and, and leather books, First John chapter four. As Adamir prayed, it has been a crazy week. Lots of things going on that are deeply unsettling, deeply unnerving. And I fear that for the time being, certainly over the next month things are going to get more unstable not less and so today i'm starting a new series that i hope will point our hearts and our mind and our hopes to heaven i want to talk about the sovereignty of god and that even though things here are uncertain and unpredictable, and we don't know what the next turn or twist is going to be. The good news is, we as the church and the people of Jesus Christ put our hope in an unshakable kingdom and a king who cannot be challenged, and a king who rules and reigns with love and grace and mercy, and as Adam may have prayed, with great healing. And so today I want to focus your minds and your hearts on this wonderful thing called eternity that is unlimited in its scope, that is governed by King Jesus. And when we talk about eternity, it's so easy for us to think of heaven. And heaven for so many of us seems this nebulous, ununderstandable, place that is far off. But the good news of the gospel is that because of what Jesus has done, eternity is now. It can begin today. It starts the moment that we start to follow the king of eternity, King Jesus. So let me define in a working way, what I mean when I say eternity, because I will reference this word a lot. Eternity is so much more than just believing in the next. It's a picture of heaven that we are called to live on earth. It's a place of unshakable love where the plans and the promises and the purposes of God are fulfilled. I was recently challenged by a phrase that I heard in a book I was reading. And the author says, if we don't believe in the afterlife, we can try to cram an eternity into a lifetime If we don't believe in the afterlife, we try to cram an eternity in a lifetime. And he was saying that's a problem because the eternity that is ours in Christ is so much bigger and broader and better than even the very best of lives right here. When we are limiting eternity to the life that we can lead now, we increase selfishness because we want to cram it in. We demand pleasure because this is all we think there is. We fake happiness because we don't realize how deep and great joy is. When we try to cram an eternity into this life, thinking this life is all there is, then we encourage fear, and ultimately we derail what God wants to do in our life. At the start of the service, I prayed that prayer that Paul wrote, that he prays that we can grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of God. But I fear that in our world with all its trials and troubles and suffering, that we've lost that promise. And because we've lost that promise, we, we limit what God can do. This past week, I was invited to be part of an international conference with some leaders from all around the world that a friend of mine from thirty years ago had put together as God has blessed His ministry in incredible ways. I was so excited to sit around the computer table. With these folks, it was amazing. I, I clicked on and there were folks who were in Seattle three hours before us and there were folks in Australia who were 11 o'clock at night and everything in between. I had access to this, this huge world. Then all of a sudden, just like that, my computer died. I'm like, what's happening here? And you know when we're on some of these calls, there's a lot of setup that's required, a lot of things that can go wrong. My, my, my light that was on came off. My computer crashed. So I checked the cord between the computer and the power strip, and that was okay. I checked the connection between the power strip and the, the plug, and that seemed okay. I was trying to diagnose the problem. When I got a little closer to the The plug, and I realized that between the socket and between the plug, this little baby dead lizard, now dead lizard, had jammed itself. And it had done just enough to separate the plug from the socket. And so here we are with this huge access to this great folks around the world. And it's derailed for me by this dead little lizard that shortcut my system. One of my concerns for our world is that we shortcut our understanding of eternity by focusing on the small, dead lizards of life. And today I want to remind you that what we're invited to as Christians is bigger and better and broader than we know about. And we must not let the empty promises and the cheap lies and the selfish consumption of the dead lizards of this world disconnect us from that. Amen? So, what happens? What do we need to know about eternity? if we want to be fully connected to our eternal God who has everything we need readily available for us. 1 John 4, starting at verse 13. This is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God remains in him and he in God. And we've come to know and believe this. Love that God has for us. God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. You'll notice in that passage, the word that was used the most, the concept that was used the most was this word remains. He in us and us in him remains. Remains. We go back to the very beginning of Genesis and we said that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And that's a picture of heaven and a picture of eternity that, that God would walk with us. And then throughout the Old Testament and with the coming of Jesus, there is this expression from God that God wants to dwell with us. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. God Himself. And when we start to follow Jesus, we are, are given this Holy Spirit so that God can remain in us. And I want to remind you today that even though eternity... And all that it offers seems so distant and so far away. The reality is, is that heaven and eternity is within us. It remains in us. It remains when our world turns upside down. It remains regardless of whether our candidate wins or not. It remains through the tough times, through the difficult times, through the hardships. Eternity is deposited within us. Eternity is deposited within us. How? Through His Spirit. Through God Himself in the form of the Holy Spirit within us. This spirit that does not give us a spirit of fear, but of wisdom, of love, of a strong mind. This spirit that gives us the gifts and the graces that we need not just to survive, but to thrive. John says we're witnesses of this. We know it to be true in our own life. We've seen it. We feel it. We sense it. Eternity is within us. Verse 17, he says, when this eternity is within you, when the love and the power of God, when, when heaven is in your heart, then this love is made complete so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people in this world who aren't living complete lives anymore. In fact, there's a lot of people when they open their mouths, they remind us of how incomplete they are and how incomplete we are. I know that I've said things and thought things and done things this week. That have reminded me that love is not complete in me yet. And so I need to trust God. I need to let more of heaven in my heart. Because when heaven comes, when we can fully grasp hold of all that Jesus has done and won for us, we are complete and we can have confidence. confidence, he says, on the day of judgment. You know, if we're in Christ, well, we don't need to worry about the coming judgment because we know that Jesus has dealt with that. that, that our judgment happened on the cross a long time ago. John goes on, and I love this, and I want to be this, but I know I'm not this. He says, as he is, talking about Jesus being complete with eternity fully in him, so are we in the world. Again, I stake my life on this. The way we fix the problems in this world is to follow Jesus. Because his power, his strength, his spirit, his purpose, his challenge is exactly what our world needs. that. This has become a prayer for me this week, and I, I pray it would be for you. As he is, so may I be. May I live like Jesus. May I be so consumed with this hope of heaven, this fullness of eternity, that in this world of shortcuts and dead lizards, we can be people who love like Jesus loved and can love this world to healing and the fulfillment of hope. I want to remind you today that eternity is deposited within you. When you get worried, lean into heaven. When you get scared, trust the king When things take another twist and another turn, which they will, remember that we serve an unshakable Savior. Eternity is deposited within us. John continues, verse 18. Some of us need to hear this too. There is no fear in love. Instead, Perfect love casts out all fear, drives out all fear. The one who fears is not complete in love. Second thing that I would propose to you that understanding eternity does is that eternity victoriously fights fear now. Eternity victoriously fights fear now. We are fear filled people. When I saw the debate on Tuesday, you know what my overarching thought was? Fear. As I've been seeing some of the news headlines, I'm afraid. Is this who we've become? Is this all there is? How does this reflect on us? The reality is we're, we're afraid of, of hundreds of thousands of things right now. Some we know, many we don't. Some are shallow. Some are deep. All are real and all can be conquered by the love of God. We fear being left out. We fear failure. We fear rejection. We fear that loved ones will leave us and that beauty will fade and jobs will be automated and that food will damage our health. We fear for international war. We fear because of the collapse of morality that markets will crash, that friends will move, that children will drift from their faith. Our fears are numerous. But fear doesn't need to define us when the love of our eternal Savior is alive in our heart. Let me read you this quote that I came across this week in a book. It's on your screens, it's written by a psychologist called David Brenner. He says this: Fearful people live within restrictive boundaries. People who live in fear, fear compels to remain in control. They attempt to control themselves and they attempt to control their world. Often despite their best intentions, this spills over into efforts to control others. Fear blocks responsiveness to others. You know what he's saying? He's saying exactly, exactly what John is saying, that fear limits us and fear lies to us. And John says, You don't have to live in fear. You got a choice. Are you going to let fear consume you or are you going to let the love of God consume you? It's really that simple. That's as close to a silver bullet as we're going to get to fix the problems in our lives and in the world. Am I going to be driven by love, or am I going to be driven by fear? And as we focus on eternity, and as we focus on the king of eternity, as love invades us, fear is pushed out of us. Eternity is deposited within us. Eternity victoriously fights fear. Fear. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in a meeting as we were promoting our Better Man event that I'm a part of. It's a men's gathering where we challenge men to get better. The clue about what we do is in the name, Better Man. And I was sitting around a table with the founder of our organisation, and we were listening to other ministries come and talk about how they'd tweak their ministry to fit ours. And how they're expecting because we're moving away from an event driven uh, ministry where we had 7,000 folks last year. We're going online and talking about getting 40,000 and 50,000 people as part of our event. I grabbed out a pen and I wrote a note to our founder who I was sitting next to. And it simply said this If God doesn't show up, we're in trouble. I didn't use the word trouble, but a little stronger. But if God doesn't show up, I won't, then I'll show it to the camera. If God doesn't show up, <laughs> we're in trouble. And, and, and that, that reflected how I was feeling in that moment. The, the, the weight of what we're doing and all these people we're reaching and the, the responsibility that we carry brought some fear. Two minutes later, this guy we've never met before taps on our shoulder, and he gives us a note. Like, what is this, like middle school again? I'm guessing people don't pass notes now in middle school, do they? It's all all text. But this note says, you are loved. Raise your expectations. God wants to do more than you can imagine. And it dawned on me, In that moment, in my fear, that that's a picture of the predicament we're all in so often, right? It's so easy to feel overwhelmed. It's so easy to feel we can't. It's so easy to feel that the responsibility is too heavy. And that causes us to fear. But we need to pick up the second note, right? That not only reminds us that we are loved... But reminds us that God's got us and He's got better plans for us than we can imagine or hope for. Let me ask you today, which, which note are you writing right now? Me, I was writing the fear note, but God's writing the other note. The love letter, love pushes out fear. The more of Jesus and Jesus' love in our life, the less fear. Eternity is deposited within us. And as eternity is deposited within us, fear gets pushed out. And then, verses 19 to 20, as the love of Jesus, as the kingdom of our King, as eternity lives within us, we are able to love limitlessly. John says, verse 19, we love because he has first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. We could spend a whole sermon just on these three verses, but I won't because I know that time is up. But here's the deal. Once eternity is deposited in us, that eternal love pushes out fear and replaces it with love. And because we have love in us, we can love this world. And we can love the people of this world. And we can love those who are far from God. And we can love those who believe differently than us. And we can love those on the opposite side of the aisle. Why? Because God's love is for all. Verse 19, many people misread this. We love because he first loved us. Many people interpret that saying we can love him because he first loved us. And we can, but him isn't in the verse. We can love everybody because he loves everybody and he is in us. Paul goes a little bit deeper into this. He says there are people in your life who you hate. Truth be told, there are. Different times, they're different people. Sometimes they're people we don't know. Sometimes they're people we do know. he says, if you're going to love God, if your body is this this reservoir, your soul is this, this river for the love of God, then you can't hate anybody. Can you disagree with them? Sure. Can you hold a different opinion? Absolutely. But can you hate them? No, because that's not the kind of love that was given to us. Because the reality is our behavior before God towards God was hateful. The things we did, the sins we commit, the distance we put. But God still looks at every one of us and says, I love you. And I want my love to remain in you. I want to put eternity in you. And when eternity is within you, it pushes fear out of you and love fills you. And when that love is within you, then it pours onto this world. It changes people's lives. It heals hurts. It makes wrongs right. It brings truth to lies. Eternity is deposited within us. That eternity pushes out fear so that love can dispense from us. This is how we know what love is. This is the command that I've given you. So many folks hear the term, love your neighbor. And they ask the question that the Pharisee did, who is my neighbor? Honestly, it doesn't matter. Because whoever they are, They are to be loved because you have this love of God within you, that love that pushes out the fear that causes you to do all kinds of stupid, needy things. And it loves them. John wraps up giving this command. It's a command. And then he says, How are people going to know an invisible God unless they see love visibly in you? The person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love the God who he hasn't seen. What's he saying? He's saying that when you love people, you make an invisible God visible. They will know that we are Christians by our love. They will know that there is a hope for now and a promise of eternity by how much we lean into this love that comes from heaven, that pushes out fear and allows love to come from us. Wrapping up, I could exhort you to love better. And that's really important. I could encourage you to push out fear and stop doing all the stupid things that fear causes you to do. But that's not where the process starts, is it? John says... The process starts when we let the love of God into our lives. When we realize that we are loved, that the unshakable, stable king of the kingdom cares for us. And so today, in a minute, leave this place and love better. In a minute, leave this place and fear less. But first of all, invite the love of God to live in you. What is the love of God? The best understanding we have it is the life of Jesus who 2,000 years ago hung on a big, ugly cross to bear the sins and the weight and the fear of the world, to show us the full extent of his love, so that that love can invade our lives and push out fear and cause us to dispense love. is the love of Jesus within you. Do you know how much you're loved? If it's not, it can be. If you don't, you can.